Well, welcome to the Dear Game Bag. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you've had a good week. I've had a lot of questions. Why am I out of breath? I'm just after sitting down. <laughs> I've had a lot of questions this week that are front-loaded specifically to the Ireland versus All Blacks game at the weekend, which of course Ireland lost in the quarterfinal. So I'm just going to amalgamate a couple of those questions in because honestly there was like 22, 23. I'm just going to amalgamate them into general questions and uh, kind of go from there uh, to the more specific stuff as as we go. So the first question that I had, um, and this is coming from a few different people, and I think this is actually related to what Razi Erasmus was speaking about um, during his press conference yesterday um, about how the Springboks have taken the time to rotate their team and the other teams have not. And that that was taken as a direct criticism, um, not not necessarily criticism, but more as a direct reference to Ireland and Ireland's use of the squad in this World Cup. Um, So I've had a lot of people asking questions about that. The first kind of tone of the questions was, why is Razi Erasmus talking about Ireland in that way? And I suppose the the first kind of obvious answer is, one, it's relevant, um, because I think he was asked about his squad and how he has managed their squad over the course of the Rugby Championship and uh, the lead into the World Cup itself. Um, and the other part of it is that, look, obviously he wants to try to, you know, G up his players, make them feel that they're all important. Um, that's how the Springboks have used their squad. And, and the reality is that Ireland used a very narrow band of players, not just in this World Cup, but I'd say over the last two years as well. It's a different approach. And look... As I said, the margins on, on Saturday were very, very small. Like, Ireland were, you know, a width of the ball away from winning that game. And then the conversation is obviously completely different. But at the same time, I think that what he's speaking about, you know, were Ireland tired? Were Ireland suffering from a lack of freshness? Were, like, I, I don't buy that. I don't think Ireland were tired coming into the game. You can make an argument that maybe Ireland were mentally tired. Maybe there's some, you know, maybe there's some uh, road to run on that. But I, I don't think Ireland played tired. I mean, Josh van der Fleer looked wrecked during the game. But, I mean, that can just happen. And I don't think that it's because of, you know, him overly exerting himself, you know, last weekend against Scotland in a game that Ireland were incredibly comfortable in. Like, obviously, he had, a, he had a lot of work rate in that game. Like, his breakdown work in particular was, was very high for that. But enough that he's wagged a week later I, I'm not sure if that's if that's true and I think looking at how I think looking at how Ireland have have used their team like w- I've spoken on this platform a good number of times and this isn't like a victory lap or anything like that but like this Irish team is hugely system dependent and that system is depending on a whole lot of cohesion that can only be got by a cohesive unit when this team, and this is true, go back even to the middle of 2021. If you go back and watch this team try to play the system that Andy Farrell and Mike Cat are using without the typical guys that they've used to run it, results and performances go up and down. A lot of talk that Ireland have had in this cycle was, oh, we have a whole load of depth. We only had, we, we only have depth in theory, right? Because we actually don't have depth when it comes to like players that we can actually use to rotate in and keep the performance levels even somewhat similar. We, we actually don't have that at all. And part of that is due to the system that we picked, the approach that we had. And remember, people were talking about this preseason and this build-up to the tournament as being the best Ireland have ever had. And the result is the exact same. Just forget about performances. The result is the exact same as the build-up to the 2019 World Cup, which everybody was criticising back in July. This is the kind of thing that happens in this game. And like for the Springboks, I think that in this country, right, we have as much talent as the Springboks do. They have a lot of, they have a lot of options. We have a lot of options in theory that we have not used and that we did not look to try to build on over the last three to four years. We settled on a rugby team that we felt could beat any team in the world and we wanted to keep that team together for the guts of two and a half years and then use that team to win the World Cup. That's what we wanted to do. And that's what we did. But the results didn't follow. And when it comes down to that game on, on Saturday, 
I don't think Ireland lost it because we were tired. I don't think that we lost it because we were too cohesive or like like you could say, oh, throw Gavin Coombs in there, do Ireland win it? Like, no, because you'd have to throw Gavin Coombs in two years ago to make it work. But we didn't. And like, I, I think to an extent, we've kind of had a bit of a snapback theory where in the last World Cup, uh, there was a lot of late additions to the squad. And I think one of the learnings that they took from it was is that that disrupted the flow of the players because there were some guys came in late who hadn't been involved up until that point and that they weren't it, it felt like they were never really building towards the World Cup they were just going year after year after year and then saw where they were the next time this time around it felt very much the opposite that once this Irish team settled in the plan that uh, Farrell and Cat wanted and the key personnel were identified they just kept it at that like you look at the number of minutes that the likes of Caelan Doris, Josh van der Fleer, um, Peter Romani and Jack Conan had just in the back row spots alone this year or in, in this four-year cycle it is colossal we didn't really look too hard at getting in other options we felt that and, and this is true this is like this is a fact the high performance unit felt that performances outside of the high performance unit would not be weighted too highly relative to the performances inside the high performance unit so in that like what that means is that if you are say Kim Prendergast right you were performing very very well for Connacht for a good while a good long while and say you're maybe uh Niall Murray right or Murray Neil Murray honestly I, I really I've seen his name written so many times and everybody pronounces it different and to me it just looks like it's Niall Murray <laughs> I, I look I, I don't know but anyway look uh, you, you see him playing as well as he has but there's been no call up to the Irish squad right and you look at why the reason the reasons for that have been is is that this team plays this system Okay, so for you to come into this system that Ireland are using, and remember, Ireland have been front-loading this team for autumn internationals, for the summer tours, for every Six Nations game, because every game was important. We wanted to win every game, so to win every game, we needed to play the team that we normally pick to win games, and then that the, the logic was circular, so the logic kind of fed into itself. We need to win this game. This is the team that always wins, so we'll pick that team to win, we win that was a good thing and then the circle completes itself again so like you look at what Ireland have built and I'd say there was a few successes this year right or in this cycle there was Dan Sheen and Ronan Kelleher came through and I think did really well they were not a factor before 2019 but they are core players now in the aftermath of it I will say though that those guys coming in and, and having such a big role it helped they were at Leinster because it meant that a lot of the reasons that would be that would be against them didn't apply. Because when you look at what Leinster do and what Ireland do, it is very similar. Leinster aren't Ireland. And the way Ireland play has a few a few key differences from the way that Leinster do. But the template is Leinster. So if you come up through the Leinster system, it is easier for you to get into that system and to basically fit straight into the standard of training. Because look, if if you're a if you're a pro rugby player and you're joining a club or you're you know looking to try to get into a national setup or whatever else depending on the structure of that na- of that national setup like you've got to come in and kind of hit the ground running very very quickly to kind of keep the standard of training up Ireland put a huge focus on the standard of training which again look this is all I'm not, I'm not this is not a criticism that's just the way it was so if you were coming into the system and remember like the the training system and everything they do incredibly complex right so you're you, how you were judged in that training system it's a bit like anything if you go into a new job or you you get a new job in your job you've got to kind of come in and, and get your feet under the table and go well fuck what like what do we do here like wh- how is this different from my previous job or you do things a little bit differently than what i'm used to here so i've kind of i've got to try and get up to speed quite quickly it's it's a very competitive environment and it's a it's a it's one where the learning curve is incredibly steep so if you're coming in from a, an adjacent system like we'd say a lot of the Leinster players were it, it is easier now the intensity is higher 
there's more at stake, obviously. So it, that's obviously a challenge. And not every Leinster player who came into the group ended up being a, a key player or, or uh, even a wider squad player. But that's kind of how it was looked at. And then you're talking about the wider system itself, which the way that Ireland play has a very prescribed way of, of playing. There's lots of cohesion involved, as I've said. And what that literally means is Ireland passed the ball an awful lot through the forwards. Forwards and backs are, very, are really integrated. As a result, to make that system work well and work accurately, you've got to know the basically the on-ball behaviour of the guy you're playing with and all the guys you're playing with. You've got to be comfortable running lines off them. And if you aren't, balls will be dropped. Passes will go behind. Passes will go... Like, they will go to ground. Uh, turnovers will be made. Errors will creep in. And then, all of a sudden, the system looks like shit. You want an example? Go back and watch the Ireland A game against uh, the Maori All Blacks in November of last year. An entirely new group. Guys who came in kind of out of nowhere. And who were from all different environments. Who had very little time in the system. Came in to play, you know, a fairly cohesive New Zealand Maori or uh, Maori All Black team, and looked like shit. They looked fucking awful, <laughs> right? They did. You go back and watch it. I've actually gone back and I've watched that game. Not recently, but I watched it back there in the summer just to kind of because I was in the middle of writing an article about the whole like about Ireland's depth and how we don't have any depth, and for, partly because of what I'm speaking about here. I didn't end up writing that article, but when I looked back at that game, it's like they were trying to play the way that Ireland play, but because the extra 15% that they would have needed by just knowing who they were playing with wasn't there. Everything just looked fucking awful. Shocking. Breakdown work wasn't where it needed to be. Pass accuracy was all over the place. Halfbacks were, were, were struggling to try and keep both things together. Forward and back integration was terrible. Like understanding of the system itself was up and down across the entire team. Roll sets were off and you could see that guys were put into a certain role that they didn't fit so like I think that Kian Prendergast and Gavin Coombs were actually miscast they should have been in the other fella's role but all that happens and all it says to the high performance unit guys is we need to double down on what we have because they never gave experience to guys and the system itself was so arcane that unless you just were a supernatural talent that was able to just get that straight away and, and work your way in it was so hard for you to come in and be an option and that then becomes again like it reinforces itself so because the options you've asked to come in and train weren't hitting the ground running and then and this is by the way whatever about coming in and training and maybe you don't have a good day training or whatever else and it's kind of like you're in the Ireland team now and you're in Irish training and everything is much quicker or you're not used to certain things and maybe you have a bad day training happens to everybody that kind of weighs far more against you there than what it would do at a club or a province. And it's and again, none of this means you're a bad player. It just means that well, I've just got to get fucking used to the way I'm playing here. And I've, I've got to get used to the drills. I've got to get used to, like, once I know the drills and once I get comfortable, I can start getting my feet under the table. Sometimes that takes two camps. And you look at some of these guys, they, maybe they weren't in the camp twice or they were in and they were out. And then that's before you get to the mental toll of, well, you know, I was called up they didn't use me. I've been sent back to the province, you know, and I, and, and your your confidence takes a shot. I would look at James Hume as a good example of that, of a fellow who was playing with real confidence prior to his call up to the squad. Uh, I think it was before a November series or whatever else. Comes back, confidence looks like it's in the toilet um, because he's a different type of outside centre than Gary Ringrose. This system requires somebody to be Gary Ringrose. Right, because uh, this is what I've been trying to explain on different articles and whatever else. The Irish system, forget about the numbers on the jersey as what they would typically mean, a number eight or an open side or a flanker. The Irish number four jersey has a specific job that needs to be done. The Irish number six jersey has a job similar to the number four jersey, but there's numbers that, like, there there are, are jobs you need to do with that number on your back that aren't blindside flanker. It is the job that is specifically required for that jersey. Your number eight jersey has specific jobs that are required of it. And if you aren't able to run that system in that number eight jersey exactly the way it's supposed to be done, the system doesn't work. Same way with Josh Vanderfleer, who is, you know, obviously an open side flanker if you look at what he would be traditionally described as. But his job doesn't necessarily, like, 
match that down to the wire like he's got a huge breakdown output and uh, on both sides of the ball offensively and defensively but not necessarily a massive jackal either there's no line out work involved and I, you know this because uh, Kalen Doris whenever he's gone in to do that job changes up his job as well which is why Kalen Doris is so important because he can play all of the three jobs in the back row really re- like to a really high standard most of the time so with that there is no scope for guys coming in with a different skill set like for example one of the best things that John Hodnett does as a as a you know when he wears the number seven jersey for Munster is getting the ball in the wide area and breaking up the line forcing compressions in that edge space and like being a terror out there in that in, in that space but the thing is you see in Ireland that job is the number six and it's the number two Dan Sheehan and Peter Romani because these are the these are the guys that they use most of the time so when that's the case like you might say oh well why is John Hodnett not coming in for Josh Vanderfleer because what John Hodnett is good at and what Josh Vanderfleer are good at even though they're both nominally open side flankers is completely different and Josh Vanderfleer's talents suit the, the the team as it's currently standing John Hodnett's do not or he would have to change his game quite radically to fit into the like the specific role type they require for that jersey and it's the exact same for both midfield spots it's the exact same for the wing and if you aren't fitting into that you're not going to perform well in training because you're going to be asked to do things that aren't your skill sets and like Ireland and I've made the, the the comparison that Ireland system is like a Porsche or a Lamborghini right where you might have a lot of dis- like I, I don't even know if this is true I'm just like <laughs> I'm just taking this because I'm just making assumptions here but try and stick with me for the metaphor right that we'll say Ireland or a Lamborghini where they require a whole ton of specific parts that are custom made to make that work to the level it's supposed to and if you have to put in generic parts or parts that we'll say are from another car they don't work but then try to imagine like a super simple like truck <laughs> truck <laughs> and in that truck it's not as complex things when they work aren't as flawless or as as as, as perfect looking as the Lamborghini but you can put a lot of different parts in there some of them are generic parts some of them are parts from another truck and they will work away fairly well and when that truck gets motoring it stays motoring and it's easy to go far I find with this Irish team that if a small part of the machine doesn't work then the whole system all of a sudden can start to look really bad and the margins like I said in this New Zealand game were very were, 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 were fine like small hinge in a few small moments and a, a bad first quarter but I think to look at it and go that oh well we only lost the game by a small bit there's nothing more to be spoken about like I don't think that's true either and I think that when you we, when we look back at it and we look at this cycle as a whole we spent two years building a match day 23 we had, they had a few alternate options on the bench and stuff like that and I think because of that we were limited to the ability of that team rather than the strength of rugby in this country which I think is better than this team but when this team plays at its best we would have beaten New Zealand but the thing is when one or two small things don't go right we were chasing the game from the start and it it, it just seemed that from my point of view anyway that we lost this game on a few bounces of a ball going the wrong way a bad opening quarter but I also feel that we set the template for this by the basically having the one team that we built and we needed that team to work and we didn't really have any other options and the reason why I think that is because when Johnny Sexton got suspended for the warm-up games that basically meant that from the first game he was available we would have to play the full team around him because that's what he's there to do he's not there to run a mix and match team and I genuinely think it is a shame that there's so many guys in this group who only got a few minutes in the World Cup, like maybe 20, 30 minutes at most. 
I think that this group is better than that. But we suspected beforehand that this team was going to be like that Ireland RFC, that that was the team they were going to use. I was even surprised at how much usage they got off the majority of the team with a few guys, you know, slotting in here and there. And I think, again, the biggest success story I think they can point to is uh, Jack Crowley coming in relatively late and being the like a, a guy on the bench that they didn't use in this New Zealand game which again I, I think was a mistake but he was on the bench at least you know um, but again I just I just felt that they locked in too much on the one team too early and it brought, it brought great success because everybody else was scrambling around looking for options while we had certainty and I think that in this World Cup I think it would we would have come and done anyway. The more, like watching the other games, watching France and, and South Africa in that game, and and watching even watching our game. I felt that when we met another one of those four teams again, again I I think that it would have been very very close. I'm not sure if we would have won, but it's kind of it's it's it seems almost churlish to speak about it now. But I I think for the next World Cup cycle, I I think they'll they'll think a little bit more short term like actually maybe maybe like not even short term more of a mid-term focus i would say because again I, th- I think that we were victims of circumstance this time around like i think the pandemic played a large part um in one just how settled things had to be because like from a budgetary perspective like ireland needed to get the show on the road and start winning we couldn't afford because again look with wins you get big crowds, you get fan interest. I think we saw that in the World Cup this time, even in the last year or so. When you're losing, geez, the the fan interest can go very, very quickly, and and that has a result on the bottom on the bottom line: ticket sales, sponsorships, uh, corporate sales, the whole lot. So, like, I think this time around, with a full four year cycle, I think that a lot of the stuff that ended up being put off, um, in we'll say 2021, 22. I think they'll look to try to bite the bullet this time. I think we'll see a fairly big transition in the Six Nations, maybe even longer and and uh, you know more dramatic even than than I felt. Um, we saw a few players who I think will almost well who are not going to be involved, um, but other players as well who I think are kind of redlining it seems at the moment who look like they've got a ton of rugby under their belt, um, and even though they're on we'll say fairly lengthy central contracts. You know, need to have a look at um, you know either changing their role, as in that there are more bench options now, or you know looking and, and making more radical changes elsewhere. And I think that from Andy Farrell's perspective, and this kind of runs into my next question, which is a lot of the people asking, what is this next Irish team like? Where like who is going to replace Sexton? Who's going to replace all these guys? One way or the other, transition is coming, right? And I think looking at the Irish team, there's a few spots straight away where everybody who's currently playing, we'll say in that game against New Zealand, um, who played in it is either in their 30s or coming up, you know, where the mid-30s are only over the hill or getting to the stage where they are priority three, like, uh, replacements, okay? So if you're looking at Conor Murray and Jamison Gibson Park, I think it's incredibly unlikely that either of those guys are available for the next World Cup. So as a result, the next guy who's kind of who who has been soaking up the minutes in the last two years is Craig Casey. So he would I would say be in pole position to have a right crack off that jersey with the likes of Nathan Doak, um, with the likes of uh Finton Gunn, I think as well. Um maybe even Quaylen Blade they look at also. Um maybe challenging in the sh- you know, mid to short term, I would say. But looking at uh, the short term, is in, in the next year or so, uh, or two seasons, I think Gibson Park will still play a, an important role there. But I don't know, I think the shine might be off Gibson Park a small bit. I think that this year we've seen some really poor performances from him in very, very big games where it seemed like for me the biggest benefit to Gibson Park um, in the years gone by was he was basically like he's a winger who plays around the rook, okay? And when he was being driven around the place by Sexton, 
he only made good decisions because Johnny Sexton, for the most part, only ever made good decisions. So looked superb and was more than more than um, deserving his place in the Irish team. But when you look at the last year for both Leinster and for Ireland, it just feels that the erratic parts of his game where he loses that connection with the 10 and starts making decisions on his own, I think that's when he starts to play poorly. And that's happened quite a bit this year. So... Like I, I think that if you're Andy Farrell looking into the post, you know, World Cup era now, and again, one of the other questions, and this is just a, sh- a short one. It's like it's almost like a little tangent. When you look at Andy Farrell as the Ireland, as 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 an Ireland coach, like he's been with Ireland from around 2016 on, 2016, 27. I know he was on gardening leave when he, when he first signed, but like. <laughs> You look at how long he's been, where he's gone through that World Cup cycle in 2019, gone through a full four-year cycle here as head coach. He signed on for another two seasons, as far as I'm aware. I'm not sure if it's a guarantee that he'll be the World Cup, uh, you know, the coach for the World Cup, rather, in 2027. But I think that when the Lions come calling, I can see him taking that opportunity. Um, and for Ireland, I think sooner rather than later, I think that we might be looking at a different coach. But even then... It's a massive challenge, I think, to come in and, and rebuild all the areas that need to be rebuilt because there's a new game plan has to come with it. So, and, and with that, any number of unpredictable things can happen. I think that it would be a waste at the moment to keep playing counter-transition if Jack Crowley is going to be your 10. Now, if Ross Byrne is going to be your 10, then I would stick with more or less the same concept we've been playing for the last while. But if you're going to go in long-term with Crowley, I think you then also have to go in long term with Casey. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about trying these guys out for a game. Like starting them against Italy. Like we've seen with this Irish team for the last two years. No, I, I think that if you want to give them a good run. You, in the next year or so, work out how you get the best out of those two players at 9 and 10. And then work you know, with the rest of the with, with the rest of the, of the spots you have coming up. And seeing how best you can fill that spot. I think that for the next couple of years, I think that playing on-ball rugby is is the way to go. I think that being too efficient in, in some ways is a mistake. Now, that will fly in the face of what we saw from Ireland at the weekend where we were hugely inefficient and New Zealand were massively efficient. But I think in the long term, I think you have to be comfortable holding the ball for long periods of pressure in and around the halfway line and being comfortable playing that style of game and I think that because we weren't comfortable playing that game I think we were in trouble when New Zealand were playing as efficiently as they did almost on the verge of kick pressure that's how low their their um, kick per pass um, metrics were so I think looking at how um, Ireland move forward I think that there are there's a jersey coming up in midfield I think um, I think there should be a look. Well, obviously there, there there's change coming at halfback and in a number of spots. I think. Um, I think the back five will need to be refreshed. Um, I think that we need to look at different options in the second row. Get a little bit more athleticism in there. Uh, I think the front row is still st- from a starting perspective is still fairly settled, but we're looking for challengers in the loose head jersey and certainly in the tight head jersey as well because I think while. Uh, Tyg Furlong and Finley Bealham, who I would also say has been a success um, in in this uh, in in this cycle. I, I think he's also uh, well into his thirties as well now. So I think that there's absolutely space for a young player to come up and have a and have a go off that. Like you look at Finley Bealham, he's already, but he's he's thirty two, just gone. He'll be thirty three next season, and I think he's certainly still playing well. But I think Ireland need to look. Tom O'Toole is in is in pole position. I would say there. But I would not say he's set in stone either. I think on the loose head side, Paddy McCarthy is a fellow who I can. I I just I, I. It's impossible for me to see them not push him straight away into that squad. I think they look to try and get him in there. And you know you're looking at different spots in the back row as well. But again, style change means is everything. So like, if you have a, a radical change in style to come with the change in personnel that are there that might not suit certain players. There are certain guys who might be all of a sudden find themselves with their job description having changed. And if that's the case, it's actually very difficult if you go too far outside your 
you will say your your role territory where you're able to fit in certain bits and pieces of your game depending on your the breadth of your skill set and your own physical abilities if that goes too far outside that then it's very difficult for you to play the game to the level that you want to like if you go to you know like because there was a lot of comparison between Ardy Savia, Caelan Doris and Gregory Aldrich in the last couple of years um, for that you know who's the best number eight I would say that all three of those guys play radically different positions the only kind of like we'll say there's there's a little bit of an overlap in some of those spots with, with Aldrich and Doris and with Savia. there is some overlap but they're very different players who play very different roles for their team and again the style that you're playing informs the roles you need to make the style work and then that then has a big impact on selection and I think to finish off the original tangent I started on here if that's the case then the style that you require and the selections you require to power that they are the small margins that will either see you winning or losing the games when the it's because again look it's, it's, it's easy to win when it's easy you know like I think that there was an element of that with this Irish team this year in the last year or so where we picked up some good wins that like they, like they honestly they do stack up but the pressure of a World Cup knockout is so different to even a Grand Slam decider I would say when it comes to pressure I mean just look at the look at the difference in the two teams walking out I was re-watching the game there again last night just I was having a just a quick sweep through is there anything either funny or interesting I could pull out of it and from the start Ireland walk out looking fucking nervous and I've seen it enough times with teams walking out for AIL games for like club games at home for anything you can look at the two teams walking out and it doesn't always stack up but when you see fellas out there kind of gulping swallowing hard coming out you can see the fellas who might be a little bit under pressure in the moment and you like I've seen it in GA games you see it in soccer games and I felt Ireland walking out looking at Sexton he looked like he was not overawed by the occasion but it looked like he was aware of the gravity you know um and all that adds up and again i think that to just you know mark it up as being a a narrow game i think that is true to a certain extent but i i think it's also a little bit of a cop-out in discussing where like this team made distinct like decisions about how they could win this World Cup then didn't win the World Cup and I think that in part a lot of the um the the the, the, the structures of the team what they've used I think they all play a role in how we got here because I've got a lot of questions as well about like the, of Jean Klein how will Ireland feel about you know Jean Klein getting to a semi-final with South Africa as an important player and again, I think it comes back to one. I think, like Ireland, will have will have no real regrets there because they were very, very decisive in going. This is the style of play that we that, that we are running. These are the players we need to run that style of game. Jean Klein doesn't suit that, so we aren't going to select him. And I think that's fair enough. But at the same time, I think it shows South Africa that they might not have as involved or as complex a game plan as what Ireland do but they have more options as a result and I think that allowed them to play a little bit fresher and yes look injuries hurt them they're missing Malcolm Marks a fierce, uh, an awful lot but I think that when you have um, options like they do it does allow you to mix and match a little bit and uh, I think that when it comes to the like the intensity of a World Cup Sometimes I think it's hard to do, you know, three or four, like, was it four games in a row, even with a break week? It is tough. And we did look to to really double down on, on that cohesive unit that we all know. Um, and, like, ultimately it didn't work. And, yeah, the margins were thin, but ultimately it didn't work. And that's something I think that we need to look at as to how we didn't make the final you know losing to a team we'd beaten in a series last year that we've beaten before this game you know three out of four times how do we start so poorly why did that happen and then just try to like not make those mistakes even if there was three mistakes out of 50 good decisions let's not make those mistakes again because facts are facts we we lost that game 
We're up, we're going home. The World Cup will continue without us. So I think that that's something that we'd be shortchanging ourselves if we didn't actually put a bit of time into working out. And I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Um, some of the other questions that have come in. Um, this one is from Barry C. Um, I like the description of on-ball and off-ball and counter-transition uh, teams as uh, falling on a kick-per-pass ratio spectrum in the green eye for the New Zealand game. It got me wondering, what is the relationship, if any, between kick-per-pass and ball and playtime? If two counter-transition teams are playing each other, as they will be tomorrow, I assume ball and playtime will be huge. But if a counter-transition team is playing and, say, an, off- an on-ball team, does the correlation break down? Thanks. Well... As you saw from this game, Barry, we had massive, massive ball and play time. Huge. Now, that was buffed by a few different sequences where Ireland went through in the second half two really, really long sequences of play that had six or seven, like, I mean, one of the three or four minutes, the other had six or seven minutes of just pure ball and play time, which buffed the score a fair bit. But I think it was what, it was 41 minutes there or thereabouts, which is massive. Now, last season, Munster, as an on-ball team, never lost the game when the ball and play time was above 38 minutes. Uh, it was above 38 minutes against Leinster. I think it was above 38 against the Stormers as well. And it was against Glasgow too. Glasgow are something of an on-ball team as well. Um, But there is a, a, a relationship between kick per pass. Um, So when you are playing with, we'll say, four or five kicks per pass, the idea for the most part with teams who play that way is they want a high ball and play time. So, like, counter-transition teams have to be very, very fit. And a high ball in play, it just increases the chances of getting what you want from the opposition, which, for a counter-transition team, is a poor transition from them and a good transition from you. But the only way that you can continue to generate that picture is by kicking the ball quite a bit. Now, you also have to have a high pass-per-carry ratio because, again, if you're playing on transition, you need to go from space away from the line of the ball. So if you're kicking, a, like we'll say a box kick exit from the 22, say we're on, you're, you're in the, the 15 meter tram line, right? Say you're right in the middle of that. And say you look to try box kick that and to aim that kick for the five meter uh, tram line. So right by the touchline, you want the ball to land right there. Why is that? And you'll see a lot of counter transition teams who will kick that slight, you know, to the mid length you know, they won't necessarily look to play a short contestable. They will kick it to the mid-length. So basically what they want is you to fill the space. So you, like the defensive team there, who like the team who had the ball and who kicked it, they will turn into the transition defense team. You will then look to try to fill the field, right? So you'll fill that field. So basically when they take the ball or if they take the ball in that five meter channel, when they hit a rock or whatever else, they look up and what do they see? an absolutely stacked line of defenders waiting in front of them. It's demoralizing. You're set on defense. If they're slow coming back, their next rock is a direct breakdown threat or they may just look to try and kick the ball back to you. In which case, you have your resources all the way across the field and you can then move away and start, you know, putting your one pass, two pass, three pass, getting into space. And then when you have your post, you know, transition phases, one pass, two pass, three pass, because you're stretching the team because they have run back from the rook where they were, where they were they were the defensive team, they've had to run back to that mid-length kick to make sure they're in, in, in position to attack, right? Or resource the rook. If they kick the ball back to you, they have to chase that. So when you take that back as the counter-transition team, you're looking to try to, okay, you run, run up and down, now let's go side to side. And that's when you do that, you shake up settled defenses. Because again, look, it's very hard. If you were to just go plant the ball down in the middle of the field and have two teams next to each other and say, nobody here is allowed to kick the ball, right? What would happen? You would have two teams smashing off each other and it would be very, very difficult unless somebody makes a mistake or shows a, a fucking one in 50 bit of skill that like both teams are just going to be smashing off each other relentlessly until somebody knocks the ball on. Then you have a scrum and you can't kick it. So it's just, so like th- that would be how that would work. But when you can kick it, what that does is, well, if these settled defenders are all in a packed line here, we can't get around. They have to move with the kick. So when they get back to that level, they have to get themselves set. And then, they, then they're moving forward themselves. And all of a sudden, those connections break down or they get further apart. And then that's when you can start picking off angles. You can start picking off isolated defenders. And then that's how you end up scoring the beautiful post-transition tries that Ireland have scored in the last year or two years. 
So like with that, you need a high ball and play time because if the ball goes out of play, then these heavier players who will be, you know, radiating out from the ruck really, like, and remember, I, I spoke there about the line of the ball. Like the line of the ball, what you don't want to be doing is clustering around that as the defend, as the as the as the team who are defending, because then it's really easy to pass around you. So, all that burns your cardio, and all that makes it very very difficult for heavy players or or guys who might be you know north of twenty stone to play that type of game. Because if you're the team who kicks a lot, basically one kick every four or five uh, passes, then you need to be really really fit. Like it's very difficult if you are over 120 kg to make that work because a lot of what you're doing in a game is just going to be running up and down and covering across the field. And then your skill set, like when you get tired, the first thing that goes is your skill set. So if you're a heavy player, you don't want to play that way, right? Or it's going to be very difficult for you to play that way unless you're an absolute freak athlete. So what do you do? Heavier teams and teams who have heavier players will typically try to play an on-ball game. Now, on-ball teams, they kick less, so they'll be looking to try and kick every eight or nine passes, but, or maybe that can go up to maybe even 10 passes, but when they do kick, it'll be shorter. So you'll see last year, right, Munster started the season looking to try and kick long and on, that's what it was called, long and on. So Munster were trying to play a style of counter-transition rugby last season, but it didn't work. It actually didn't work for us. We started to play heavy on-ball rugby from around November, like late October, November, December, and then we were certainly playing that way towards the end of the season. We absolutely still kicked the ball, but you'll notice most of the time we kicked the ball quite short. We kicked contestably because we had quite a heavy team that was playing by the end of that season. Snayman, Clane, uh, Burn. I mean, he's, he's light by second row standards, but again, that we were playing quite a, a big build, right? We don't want those guys running 40 meters every time or 50 meters and having to run back and, you know, back and forth. We, we didn't really want to play that game. So what Munster did really well last year was is that when we did kick to the opposition or when the opposition kicked to us, we kicked short and contestably. So our forwards were able to get up, stack the line, get at the breakdown, but then get into our defensive set. We were like, obviously we're, we're a very fit defensive team. But when the opposition kicked to us, we'll say from their half of the field we almost always ran it back almost always and went into on large on ball sequences then afterwards and we were comfortable playing that way and you look at that skill set and you look at what you build you build a tolerance for that style of rugby because if you're a big player it's not that you're oh you're going to start fucking falling all over the place because you're you know you're, you're too heavy for the game if it's a case that you're playing on ball rugby there are less demands on you physically there were less demands than what there would be there if you were a counter-transition team. Because Munster played a relatively flat 1-3-3-1 on settled phase play. So what did that mean? That means you had two banks of three forwards that would operate in the middle of the field. Your back line operates almost independently of those forwards with two edge forwards running in the 15-meter tram line. So for Munster, that was John Hodnett and Peter O'Manny. So what that meant was is that your heavier forwards are able to play your big six. They're your big six in the middle of the field. They mainly just have to truck the ball up or maybe swing a pass out if needs be, if they get the call. But they're there mainly to just carry and hit rucks. So there's not a huge demand on their skill set. They don't need to play, you know, a whole lot of passes out the back or whatever else. There's some players who, who would run that. But for most guys, especially the kind of the heavy hitters, they know their role and their role is hit rucks or truck the ball up and you might tip the ball on or whatever else to another forward but that's relatively easy to handle so with that that's a comfortable place to play you're able to use your weight you're not doing too much in the way of of extra running on top of that and yeah look it's tiring but it's not as tiring as playing counter transition rugby and again i think the sequences that you use you're able to manage them a little bit better and i think that that's a large part of of monster success and that's a big difference as well between the the off ball games then which are very much of kick it long, get up and chase, defend for long sequences. You don't necessarily want the ball unless it's in a specific area of the field. And I think that one way of looking at the the three main states that you have for, for playing at the moment is where you're comfortable playing from. And I think an on-ball team is very comfortable getting into settled phase play in and around their own 10-meter line and forward. A counter-transition team 
really only wants to play from inside your half of the field um, and in a certain way. So they want the ball where they've taken it back from you on transition, where you're out of out of shape, whereas an on-ball team is more comfortable taking you on when you are in shape. And then you have your off-ball teams who really only want to play a ball once they're in around your 22. Most of the time, they're looking to try and play very, very defensively. They will kick most of the ball they get to try and put territorial pressure on you. And again, each of these styles, and there's different sub-styles within these, they all require different players. Like if you're an, an off-ball team, for example, you need hugely defensively aware wingers right who are an endless engine on them who are able to get up and chase and get up on all these kicks to pressurize the opposition to hem them in you also need a heavier pack because there will be a lot more lineouts, there'll be a lot more mauls there'll be a lot more scrums that brings the ball and playtime down so but you need to have the weight to be able to handle that and at the moment france i'd say are probably the best example of a, of a team playing that style and south africa are probably the team who have the ability to play the most styles because they can certainly play off ball rugby still they were almost you know they were the innovators of kick pressure when they when Razzy Rasmus took over they've changed their style now somewhat they're moving to a more on ball style and as a result when you're an on ball team you need some a lot of the same qualities you need weight you need size you need for the set pieces that will come because again if you're going to play a lot of on ball sequences knock-ons are more likely so you're going to there's going to be a few more scrums and you you want those scrums because you're able to kind of directly pressurize the opposition there as well because again you 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 want your main energy for your your front five and in that perspective to be ball carrying or retaining the ball alongside scrummaging and lineouts whereas if you're an, an a counter transition team there's far more defensive and there's far much more coverage required so you need to play a lighter team your team needs to be lighter and again you look at ireland ireland have no forward in the back five over 120 kg joe mccarthy is the closest and he's 119 and he was only used off the bench everybody else is around 117 kg at most that's james ryan and our back row there's nobody over 110 the closest i think is jack conan at 108 and uh peter Amani, i think is 10 he's uh, he's in around there as well uh, all the other guys are lighter because they need to cover more ground and then that reflects the personality of your midfield as well because your midfield has to reflect the overall style you play and it's not just there's just an on-ball team an off-ball team or a counter-transition team there, like I said there's so many different styles and so many different sub-styles within those three primary groupings it's an interesting way to look at the game I feel I think it adds a little bit more uh, to watching the game and the thing is if you watch the games you'll see it yourself once you, once you hear these classifications, you will see yourself, the teams who play the different styles, and each one has its strengths and its weaknesses. I think we saw um, for Ireland that the weaknesses with counter-transition is that you have to stick to your principles always because you're conditioned to play a certain game. When you move away from that, as Ireland did, like Ireland were playing on-ball rugby for the majority of that second half, what happens? Well, you don't have the weight to play it, okay? So... Ireland were looking to try to drive over the, the All Blacks in, the, in in a couple of sequences there. But we didn't have the size. And look, yeah, we, we've got good players and big men, relatively speaking. Like, I mean, Kellen Doris is, what, 6'4"? He's 105-something. He's, he's like 108 kg, whatever he is. Like, a big man, right? By any, like, by any metric you want to measure in real life. But on a rugby field, like, he is not a guy who I feel is going to compress defenders in the way that Ireland needed to compress them because we were playing on-ball rugby. Every style relates back to the players who were in it. The players and the role sets that you that, that you need, they inform your style and that's the choice you make. You live and die by that. So Ireland ended up playing large sequences of on-ball rugby. What happened? We looked wrecked because we're not conditioned to play that. We looked lightweight because... Again, we don't have the players for those long on-ball sequences that are outside the 22, as this was. And we looked like everything had to be super complex because that's the way we play. We were trying to play our normal structures with the running the ball through the screens and running the ball through the different layers that we have. But we weren't doing it on post-transition because we weren't kicking the ball. We only kicked the ball once every 16 passes. That is massive on-ball rugby. But the reason why it looks so... St- why is this not working? Why are we not getting outside them? Why is the same thing that we've seen happen? Why is that not happening here? New Zealand defended really, really well. But we weren't playing the, the way that we normally do. We were playing post-transition phases on settled phase play. Which meant that the space wasn't there because 
what would normally happen is that we're playing those phases on maybe the second phase of transition so where all the defenders are compressed but they weren't compressed here because they were able to fan out and defend us relatively straightforwardly like that 38th phase sequence at the end was really really impressive like our ball retention was fantastic New Zealand though to be fair were staying out of those rocks for the most part but we, we managed to advance up the field but once that line just outside the 22 was reached we couldn't get through it we didn't have the size we didn't have the power we actually didn't have the firepower to play the game that we wanted because we didn't have those guys in the field we didn't even have those guys in the squad because that was the choice we made two years ago and i'm not saying it's wrong but that's the way this game went and you live and die by your style that you pick that relates to the way you play the game and that relates to the role sets that you have on the field when it comes down to it and that's why i think as we move into the next stage of rugby after this world cup i think on ball rugby is going to be the way to go because retaining the ball is one thing you have to have the size to drive to 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 drive through teams and if you don't have that size you need to kick a lot and we've seen that when the pressure comes on and if you maybe have a bad start to a game if the opposition don't make mistakes on transition and if they don't give you an opportunity even to force mistakes as new zealand did you need to be comfortable going through long sequences of play and you need to have heavy hitters who are able to truck that ball off nine and truck it off ten and hurt the opposition physically in the moment and have the weight and size to play. That's what I feel we lacked, we lacked in that last, in, in, in the second half, certainly. We didn't have the power to play the game that we ended up playing because we have chosen a different way to play. And I think it's an interesting way to look at the game. I've got a uh, another tier came out that coming later in the week because there's an awful lot of questions I still got to get through. This is already 50-something minutes long, so thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a tier K subscriber. I will talk to you again very, very soon.